Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. My name is Nick Waxman and today we're talking about Malthouse's production of Bliss. Matthew Lutton is Malthouse Theatre's Artistic Director and Co-CEO. Prior to this, he was Malthouse Theatre's Associate Director and the Artist Director of Thin Ice in Perth. For Malthouse Theatre, he has directed Black Rider, The Casting of the Magic Bullets, The Real and Imagined History of the Elephant Man, Away, Edward II, Picnic at Hanging Rock, I Am a Miracle, Night on Bald Mountain, The Bloody Chamber, Dance of Death, Pompeii LA, and Tartuffe. You are listening to part one of the interview. Without any further ado, I bring you Matthew Lutton, director of Bliss, playing at Malthouse Theatre in May. Welcome to The Aside, Matthew Lutton. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us why you wanted to stage an adaptation of Peter Carey's novel, Bliss? Certainly. Um, I think the project is sort of in many ways got like a subtitle, like we need to talk about Harry Joy. So Harry Joy is the central character in Bliss. And I think he's a very problematic character. And that was one of the reasons why we wanted to look at this story. Um, I think right now, when there's so much, you know, so much sort of shifting in the way we see the structures of the patriarchy in the world and with Me Too and um, shifts of thinking, we Harry Joy's a problem. He's a, a charming man who doesn't have a lot of skill but has had the whole world sort of at his feet. Um, and he suddenly wakes up and realises that his complacency uh, has actually created hell around him. Uh, and what does he now do once he's awoken to the destructiveness uh, that's, that he's creating around him socially? So I think it's, I'm very excited to try and unpack this problematic character from Peter Carey. Um, but also I think it's uh, an amazing, peculiar Australian dream. I think there's something really great about the Peter Carey uh, that is eccentric and odd. It's a version of 80s Australia that's very satirical. It's very, very funny, but it's very strange. And I think we uh, see ourselves vividly when we see strange versions of ourselves. Uh, Carey's award-winning novel was written in 1981. Mm. Uh, what are some of the key themes of Bliss and how do these themes speak to student audiences in 2018? I think Bliss has got lots of themes. I think that's one of the reasons it's a classic. There's not one theme, there's many. This is a piece about uh, why we tell stories. Uh, Harry Joy is a excessive storyteller, uh, like a raconteur, a liar. He makes up stories. Um, and I think there's a big thing, a big theme about... Uh, why do we tell stories? Uh, how do they guide us? Uh, is it good to make up stories when we don't have particular stories for a situa- situation? So when in a country like Australia, when often we feel like our culture isn't deeply understood, uh, do we need to invent new stories all the time to try and understand what the hell is happening around us? Uh, and that happens throughout the show a lot. Uh, I think there's some other big Australian themes about um, an Australian desire to find authenticity elsewhere, that we always look to something non-Australian in assuming that something non-Australian is more authentic. Um, so in this particular, it's about America, that things must be bigger and better and freer uh, in America, that New York is clearly where the centre of the world is and the problem with constantly placing authenticity offshore. Um, and there's also, I guess, uh, this theme all the way through that we resist 
uh, we resist catastrophizing. It's what the, the issue of hell is about in the in the show. That we um, often we know how bad things are around us, but we always prefer not to think about the catastrophes and deny that. And it's great, and we sort of prefer to live in a bubble. And I think there's a question, a big theme of why do we find it so difficult to catastrophize what could happen? Why do we prefer to just um, enjoy the life? Maybe that's because it um, requires less energy. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I think if you, uh, if a student wants to think about what do they want to change in the world, uh, if they identify uh, social ideas or, or emotional ideas or political ideas in the world. Um, that they think need to change, uh, and I think there are a few, uh, how do you go about that? Because that's what Harry Joy tries to do. He tries to work out how do you change something. Uh, and do you have to be violent in the, to do or do that? Do you actually have to like, go in there and be disruptive? You know, do you have to have a, hold a revolution? Do you, know, like, do you have to go fire everyone? Do you have to shut down the company? It's a very violent act. Do you do it through a, an assertive violent act? Do you do it by uh, erasing something? Do you just want it to disappear? Do you just have to make the problem vanish? And that's a very problematic way. Do you get close to the power? Is it actually about being closer to your enemies so then you can bring them down? Like, wh- how do you... How do you create change? And I think that's a great thing for a student to uh, connect with and try and answer themselves. Advertising is a theme in the work in, a, in that it's the symbol that's used to describe capitalism. So there's a sense of that you can be sold everything if you're told the right story. And it's very much about, it goes back to the theme of stories in the piece, that uh, if we can, you can be manipulated by a clever story. Um, and there's a conflict in uh, the characters in the story that advertising is soulless, that it's a soulless act, that it's absolutely an act of buying and manipulating. And Bettina, who's sort of equally central character to Harry, Bettina's Harry's wife, um, is, wants uh, advertising to be art. She wants it to be beautiful. She wants it to be cre- and a creative act. Um, and it's sort of canon capitalism survive and art survive together can they actually coexist it's a sort of um, conflict in the show there is an ensemble of eight actors in this production yes uh-huh. yes <laughs> there is yes <laughs> how is a transformation of character time or place used in this production there's a lot of transformation of character because there's probably about 40 different characters in it and only eight actors so um uh, every actor has a a, a central uh, a main character, as um, you might say, that they play, and then they have many other smaller roles. Um, and we change into character not usually through costume, but through just performance style, through gesture, through voice that helps us change. But the way we design the show is that um, uh, each of the five acts is like another layer of hell. Uh, and so each time we go to another layer, almost all the actors refresh. It's almost like you meet new characters in each layer. So in each um, uh, act or each layer of hell, the actors take on another two or three roles um, and they have the great acting thrill of not having to connect those characters to any of the other roles they've played. So they don't have to create a through line. They don't, they're just new, fresh characters um, and their job is essentially to be as bold as they can with each character they receive. Right. And so we don't see that transformation on stage? 
Um, we uh, we don't see um, no a lot of the time the actors aren't uh, changing character on stage that you they're making we encounter them we see them set up in a new environment and that means time and place tra- uh, transforms in each of the five uh, acts yes there's a big shift there's a big shift um, in location between each act it's almost like each act is it's a new theatrical playground so like in the first act. Um, we go to about 10 different locations, but we use the same theatrical mode. We use a revolve and a structure made out of glass as a tint that allows us to um, change time and place very quickly. But we only use that convention for Act 1. So when we go down to Act 2, we use a completely different convention. We use a poor theatre convention. It's just chairs on a stage, and we just use the text to communicate with new locations. Act 3 uses another convention. So each act has its own conventions of how we change time and place. How are satire and caricature used in this production? Um, there's a lot of satire um, all the way through it. Uh, but it's you, it's like the piece is a comedy. It's very, very funny. And it's often uh, being satirical about people's paranoias. It's often about characters that have uh, heightened paranoias or heightened um, ambitions or greed in many ways, that that's what gets satirised. Um, and it almost tips into um, almost a, a surrealism in many ways. Like, for example, uh, Joel, one of the characters, will uh, harm himself in ludicrous comical ways to gain the attention of someone else. You know, he'll throw himself on a fire and, and literally burn himself to try and attract attention. He will go out and stab himself and then come back and say he's been in a fight with gangs and he's actually wounded himself, but it's all because he feels like no one's paying him any, any attention. So it's uh, a dark comedy of um, seeing a character, seeing their inner, inner desires being turned into uh, strange sort of dreamlike images. Well, on this, could you tell us a little bit about the range of theatrical styles that we'd be part of this production? Sure. Um, well, it's got a lot of non-naturalism in its performance style, so characters are playing out uh, heightened characters. Um, every, and that, the heightened characters come from uh, Harry Joy thinks everyone around him uh, act as there to punish him and are doing things deliberately to... Uh, to wound hurt him because of um, his role in the world. So those characters are very heightened because they're coming out of Harry's paranoid vision. Uh, there's a sense of sort of magic realism in the way we move locations very quickly, like uh, and in that just like a dream, suddenly uh, an actor's walking on stage and then they're in a restaurant and then three seconds later they walk to another part of the stage and they're suddenly in a police station and then they walk to another part of the stage and they're back in a house. And it should feel like time moves and fast forward. Um, but it's got also the audience is really acknowledged. Uh, because it's a novel, there's parts of the novel which we talk directly to the audience. So there's a sort of almost epic theatre sense of we acknowledge the audience is there and we're going to tell you this bit of the story through narration before we jump back into the character. We also sort of also got and many times like a poor theatre aesthetic. None of it's realist. It's all very much uh, how do we tell this entire story with 12 chairs or how do we tell it with um, uh, 40 wine bottles or something. like. It's just taking often one very simple object uh, and using that to create a theatrical landscape. 
That was the end of part one of our interview with Matthew Lutton. If you would like to keep listening, please do, or you can go to our episode bank where you can find a whole range of episodes that might pique your interest. To find out more about Bliss, please go to malthousetheatre.com.au. That's all from us at The Aside. If you would like to contact us, please do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com where you can ask us a question or give us some feedback. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here and to Aaron Sell for providing the music. And thank you for listening. <laughs>